Hello and welcome to the Dallas Soccer Show. I'm Dustin Nation. And in this episode, we'll be discussing FC Dallas's 1-0 loss to Seattle in the Western Conference semifinals and putting a bow on the craziness that was FC Dallas's 2020 season, taking a break from counting beans for a chicken company to join us in this episode is Tristan Vick. Howdy, Tristan. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Uh, still clutching his tattered, tear-soaked FC Dallas game day flag is Jonathan Roz. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Dustin. How's it going? Pretty good. And joining us tonight is a special guest. He's a recent returnee to the FC Dallas beat He's a legend in obscure CONCACAF nations and to this podcast host. Of course, I'm talking about John Arnold. Howdy, Jonathan. Uh, glad to be back on this show. It's a return for me here as well, so it's good to be here. It is a return. All right, gentlemen, uh, we've convened to talk about FC Dallas. Uh, they recently crashed out of MLS Cup playoffs after losing to Seattle Sounders for a second straight year. Um, the match was a pretty tight match. They they showed up early on that they came to play. They played very physically early on. Uh, they battled to a scoreless draw at halftime, uh, but then right after halftime, in fact, less than three minutes after halftime, uh, they conceded the only goal of the match when Seattle defender Shane O'Neill broke free on a corner kick uh, broke free is in air quotes there there might have been some picking action going on there but we'll talk about that later uh, and he headed headed the ball past Jimmy Maurer after that FC Dallas were pretty much in chase mode they came close to equalizing when Tanner Tessman played a lovely back heel into space along the sideline to free Ryan Hollingshead who put a cross into the box which found Barrios, who then hit the post. Uh, the ricochet went to, I think, I believe it was Hara, whose shot was then saved off the line. Um, and ultimately, they couldn't pull off a magical equalizer for a second game in a row uh, and are done with the season. Uh, so I thought maybe there's four of us here. We'll go around. We'll maybe go around to do around the table and, and kind of see what everybody had to think about that match. And uh, let's start with our special guest, John. John, what are some things that stood out to you in that match? Uh, the biggest thing for me, the biggest takeaway was was how frustrating I think the game was for FC Dallas because I think they did a lot of what they wanted to do. Really, the only thing they think they did that they did not do that they wanted to do was win the game, uh, which requires scoring a goal, which they also didn't do. But going into it, especially coming off of that LAFC game from Seattle, in which everyone scored, Morris, Rui Diaz, and Lorero, I think stopping that trio of attacking players, a high-powered attacking trio, was very, very high on FCA's list. And as good as the defense was during the regular season, it didn't necessarily seem like before the game that they were going to be able to do it because Seattle's really good. And if you do stop Morris, for instance, if you lock down Morris, Lodero and Rui Diaz will kill you. If you lock down Rui Diaz, Lodero and Morris will kill you. And then sometimes you have other players, Roldan or, or Joao, other guys getting involved who also can kill you. None of those guys killed FC Dallas, right? None of them really had great efforts. I thought Morris had a lot of success against Reynolds. But for the most part, I think FC Dallas executed the game plan it wanted to execute. It was just missing the critical piece of a goal. And of course, it's soccer. You can score on a set piece almost any time. So I think that's what really I take away is that I think it was one of the better FC Dallas 
showings of the season, but obviously not enough to keep moving on. So I think there is reason that after the game, Lucia Gonzalez said this was more frustrating. This hurt more than last year's playoff elimination against Seattle. That sort of surprised me at first because they made it to a farther stage. But I think the fact that they played as well as they did, you know, going into halftime, as you mentioned, Dustin, in your summary, with the score nil-nil, with Seattle having zero shots on target, last, you know, in 2019, they went into the break down two. So they knew they were going to be chasing. They knew they were going to have to kind of pull out all the stops. This time, I think they thought, well, this is going really well. We're doing what we want to do. So a frustrating end to the season. And, and after some pondering, I think I get why, why Gonzalez and the team say they're hurt. A little more, but I think that pain will at some point transition to some pride uh, and something to build on, I think, in, in the next year. For sure. Jonathan Roz, I guess there's the show of Jonathan's here. John, Jonathan. Uh, so, Roz, <laughs> uh, do you share you share those thoughts? I, I, I do share the thoughts on, you know, the, I mean, it was a good game. Right. And I think that although it wasn't the emotional roller coaster that was last year's Seattle match, I do think it was a bit more of a evenly played match. And so I get why uh, Lucci would step back and take away that, hey, this was a difficult loss because they did go out, they executed their game plan. Uh, but it just came down to a set piece versus hitting the post. Right. Now, did I expect that FC Dallas was going to go to Seattle and win? No. Uh, honestly, if if they had tied it up there at the end, it would have been uh, a really uh, interesting uh, last, you know, th- additional 30 minutes, right? Because of all the personnel changes they had to make to to chase that lead. Um, but I mean, overall, I mean, was it a, as a fan? It was a it was an entertaining match, and I think that's what you could ask for statistically. Uh, and I know we'll get into this, I guess, later, comparing you know whether it was a successful year, but. Uh, I think the fact that they made it to the second round of the playoffs and that they competed well against Seattle, I think uh, the team should be able to leave that match disappointed, but feeling that they played well. Tristan, what what stood out to you about, about that match? Um, so it goes back to what John said, which is that Lucci really let the team, really got the team to do what they set out to do, which was to not shut down, but blunt a lot of the attack. I think that, Morris really was somebody that was going to test the, the fullbacks for Dallas. And there were some times where Reynolds got kind of burned a couple times. And I think it kind of, that was early on in the first that he kind of said, Oh, I got to really step my game up if I'm going to not be the weak link. Right. And, and watching a team that plays out wide and kind of starts at the middle and then sprays it to the left and right, like Seattle does and uses that speed to kind of get in channels. Um, it's interesting to see which, defensive back they choose to pick on, so to speak. And so after after seeing Reynolds kind of recover a couple of times, um, I kind of felt confident going into halftime, but still realized that we're going to have to hit him on the break or get a good set-piece opportunity. Um, Seattle probably felt like, keep doing what we're doing and we'll get a break in the open play and probably wasn't as expectant on the uh, set-piece, but nonetheless... That's where it came. Um, I, I felt like Lucci had to plan also for what to do if he went behind. You saw that immediately. He threw on Barrios, kind of moved to a more attacking lineup, took off Nelson, and said, let's go for it. And that that showed me that, that the team was doing what it needed to do, but had broken a little bit in that defensive hold. Um, but there was some bright spots, and also there was 
just, I mean, playing Seattle away, even though there were no fans, is never, um, you're always going to be the underdog. And FC Dallas put in a good showing. They had no pressure going into the match in terms of being expected to win. So I thought they did all right, all things considered. Yeah. So my, my takeaways from this one uh, is that I think it showed that Lucci's flexibility in um, in his in his tactics and the way he sets up the team, um, he he really has grown a lot for me. Uh, and like you saw, he set up differently against Portland than he did against Seattle. In this match, he set up with uh, Tessman and Santos sitting right in front of the defense, being really really compact with that back line. Um, and, and really that really, I think that was what helped shut down that attacking three that John was mentioning. Um, and, and, you know, I think they played a really balanced match and I think it may be one of their most, most balanced matches of the season. Um, and that's what Lucci has been talking about since he showed up on the scene is balance. And I think that if they're going to show like, you know, I think that that match is pretty much how he wants to play and it hurts because that's what loss like i think the the hurt comes there because they because that balance was there and they still lost yeah i really like that dustin because that is something we've talked about over and over again on this pod is that lucci had a had, had figured out how to a, a way to shore up the defense right and it was always about what can you do to um unlock the offense and uh get a bit more possession uh, because what we saw during the season up till the you know the last couple of matches that uh, Lucci would have the team sit in a in a fairly compact or defensive posture uh and many of those games ended up being not very entertaining to watch um and you know you never really thought that you, well didn't have the ability really to to overrun the box and what you saw i think with some of the personnel and tactical changes in that match in Seattle is he he finally did find that balance as you said right um, so by using uh, Santos and Tasman, by making the change at the uh, left back and having Nelson sit back there, I think that uh, he had a more solid defense, right? That allowed uh, some of the other players uh, to to execute. And then, I mean, honestly, we saw uh, uh, Ricarte play much further up than we have in, I don't know. Eight matches <laughs> since 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 he first came on early on, and he you know he he led the team in touches, and so I think that they on the offensive side tactically did what they wanted, which was to free up space for Ricarte, um, overload the box, and create opportunities. So yeah, I I, I really like that one, Dustin. I will Yay. say there is a little bit of frustration though in having an inconsistent center forward. You can see the difference in what type of impact it has when you have a consistent center forward that is tactically involved and reliable. And I'm not saying Hara is a bad fit. It was his first season, right? He kind of came in quite the weird way with the pandemic shortened season, but you can tell that Seattle's had that front four in place for a while and is familiar with each other versus we've, Ricarte arrived in June or July, really late in the season. Fafa's first season here. Ryan's been played every position on the field for FC Dallas, right? I mean, the, our front four versus their front four is a very different mix of experience together and, and tactics. So just you ended the first half saying, ugh, 
in terms of the uh, way that an FC Dallas fan would feel about the match. And so hopefully that gets better, though, with the, with the year now under their belts. But hey, go go Sounders, I guess, right? Let's lose to the best, right? I mean, that's the way I see it, at least. I mean, they're an exciting team to watch, too. I think your point is good, Tristan, that you see the difference in forwards. And I think it's also very fair to say that Hara arrived. That's, that was essentially Lucci in Spanish. She was asked after the game. Uh, and I translated it into English. It's in this, this uh, today's morning news piece. So if people want to check it out and like read exactly what he said. Uh, but he kind of said, hey, it was really tough for him to adapt. It was really difficult for him to to get used to it because he came in and instead of an adaptation period that maybe doesn't go well even under the best of circumstances in MLS because it is a different league, uh, it was the MLS's back experience and they got kicked out of the tournament and they didn't get to play and they didn't get to train together, right? So it was, it was quite difficult. That being said, you also have to compare the price Seattle paid and the form and age of a player like Rui Diaz, and then do the same with Hara, right? Seattle is working with a different budget. Seattle is working with a different mindset, right? Rui Diaz from Monarcas, they pick him up, and he left before Monarcas could play the playoffs. They picked him up not only in his prime, but like in form, and he hasn't missed a beat, right? Hara, he's older, and that's fine, but you're not going to get the same production for him, and that's also why he's more affordable, right? So, and then you add to the fact they also bought Ladero, right? So it's not just one player that they bring in as sort of their big attacking reinforcement. It's, okay, we've got Morris who, you know, kind of came through a different pathway and then we're going to buy this other guy and we're also going to buy this other guy and that's something where FC Dallas has sort of done that in a way. But, and I'm not saying, oh, Hara's diet uh, Rui Diaz or that Ricarte is, is diet Ladero. First of all, they play differently and, and second, that's not polite, right? But, I am saying there's a reason those players cost as much money as they did, and there's a reason that the Sounders continue on in the playoffs and win MLS Cup last year and see the production from those players. And a lot of it is, hey, they spent some money, right? I think uh, that transitions nicely, Dustin, to our, our discussion we're going to have about the general season. Nope. All right, then let's go ahead and let's dive right in. Uh, so season's done. Let's, uh, let's put on our, our hindsight glasses. See some 2020 hindsight here. Uh, let's just start out with just like, let's, let's not bury anything. Do we think this season was a success for FC Dallas and for, for Luchi Gonzalez? Um, Tristan, we'll start with you. I mean, you have to say, I, I'd have to go back to his preseason press conferences that he had about expectations and stuff, but um in my opinion, it was a success just because of the amount of turnover on the roster, um, both um, somewhat planned and somewhat unplanned with uh, Paxton's injury and then with Acosta with the long-term layoff, bringing in Santos and uh, Testman's kind of emergence. I think that he's found a way to plug holes like a Garezo-sized hole in the midfield uh, of Reggie Cannon when he leaves. I mean, I think that any team, anybody looking at FC Dallas at the beginning of the season would have been really downtrodden in terms of it's brand new. There's too many new pieces. There's not enough gelling together. Barrios definitely had a long time before he was really impacting the team the way that he has in years past. And like John just mentioned, uh, a guy like Harab kind of being put into a 
decent situation situation just with bad timing. Um, and then we lost our starting goalkeeper before the season began. Not that Maurer wasn't already considered MLS starting quality. It's just he wasn't the plan, right? So you have plan B, plan B, plan B, plan B, plan B, all over different spots of the, the, the team itself. So just from a roster standpoint, he did well. I will say that um, I thought Brisson improved as the year went on. So in the defense, I think we're a little more um, settled. And then Reynolds was a bright spot. You had a lot of bright spots. Overall in the field, I think the team had some unexpected results that were positive and then some that were a little bit negative. But this was a team that kind of lucked into the playoffs just because they kind of, they had a decent form going into the playoffs and then they just played well enough to their competition. But there weren't too many unexpected results, in my opinion, for me to say that this was like a A-plus season or anything. Um, I will say that not being able to play the preseason tournament really hurt them. Although Nashville had a deep playoff or relatively deep playoff run too. So it's kind of a win-win and you can't really make one conclusion. Um, but I think that you got to see some good talent and Pete talent that you can rely on now knowing, okay, I don't need to plug my center midfield hole. Like we hole, we probably have enough bodies between everybody that we can plug all those holes. Let's focus on one or two key areas this offseason, develop that, and go forward. And to me, that's a, that's a good way to look at this season. I mean, every sports league in 2020s has an asterisk next to it, right? So at this point, you kind of say, what's my, what can I build on coming out of 2020? And Lucci has a lot of stuff that he can build on, but doesn't necessarily have to, quote unquote, improve with new, right? He's got a lot of good clay to build with versus some other teams that took big gambles in the offseason and on big name signings and they haven't paid off. And so that's a lot worse because you're already invested, right? It's not a sunk, it's a sunk cost at that point. Yeah. But so success with an asterisk is what I'm getting from you. Yeah, more so the building, <laughs> more so the improvement, yeah. finding players like Tessman and Reynolds who show a lot of promise. Nelson getting some good playing time, right? Like when's the last time a second round MLS draft pick was like playing consistent minutes in MLS? In 2020, that doesn't happen, right? Maybe five, six, seven, ten years ago, but not anymore. Like it's hard to find college talent like that. So Lucci's done some some good work with that, I would say. And we got to see some new players from the academy. That's always exciting. FC Dallas fans either like the really young players or they like, like, the consistent old, right? Like we like our go-to wine will be like some really new fresh beer from a local startup brewery. That's going bankrupt in like three years from Carrollton or something. Hey, that's I, how we are. The Carrollton brewery that I have in my glass right now had better not go bankrupt. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is like getting into the slander category. Apparently the bigger risk is that your brewery owner turns out to be a murderer. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> oh my god. That's insane story. Go to dallasnews.com. Yeah. There you go. That's a plug for our news site. Just Google right. Allen Brewery Murder. I'm on the well, news now I, right now. So well, now I go. know what to do after the pause over. I thought I was going to be playing video games, but I, I'm going to be reading the Dallas Morning News. <laughs> John, I've heard it a thousand times, mostly from the kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so since you're on top of the news, why don't you tell us whether you think that this, this season was a success for you, John? 
assessment is a very fair one. And I mean that in a couple of different ways, right? I think I first of all agree with his general assessment that, yeah, it's success with an asterisk, right? But also that if you compare the expectations for the season and then look at how the season, obviously COVID affected everyone, right? But it affected FC Dallas in a different way than affected a lot of MLS teams. And then you had a lot of the personnel, like you were not, you know, if, if you, if you put out the starting 11, even for those first two games or three games or whatever it was, I think two that were, that were pre pandemic. And then you compare it to what they were rolling with at the end of the season. It's like, oh man, a lot of things did not go the way that they hoped. Right. And there were a lot of pieces, Gonzalez or, you know, Cannon, the Cannon saga disappointing off the field, but I think on the field, it was a success, right? And credit to Luchi Gonzalez and his, his coaching staff because they got farther, right, in the playoffs. Even if they had lost to Portland, I think you say, okay, you know, probably a decent season, a little disappointing not to be farther. But I, this season coming up is going to be extremely critical. And I think Luchi Gonzalez knows that, right? He's gotten one year out of the way to kind of get his feet and figure out if he knows what he's doing. Yes, it looks like he does. Now year two. Pretty weird year. We'll put an asterisk on it no matter what we say. Year three, it's kind of a prove-it year, right? I mean, we really do need to see something from this team. And if they take one more step and get to the conference finals and, and they're playing tonight and we're watching the game instead of instead of having this chat, you know, that's that's I think that's definitely a success. If you're in the top four teams in MLS with, as I mentioned, the resources that FC Dallas is willing to invest, then I think you've really done something special. To get to this round, I think is still an accomplishment, but, he, you know, then the margins were quite narrow, right? If Jimmy Maurer doesn't make a save, if someone's penalty kick goes awry, you know, they're not in this point. So I think it is a successful year. I think there's still definitely room for criticism and definitely room for improvement for FC Dallas. And they need to make those improvements because at a certain point, themselves and Lucci as well himself uh, will want to see this club progress. I mean, I think Oscar Pereja is a good example of kind of feeling like, well, I've hit my ceiling. Now, what do I do? And, and, and that had to do with a lot of different things. The club's resources, a lot of it had to do with club resources or, or what they were willing to invest, <laughs> playing style, you know, like, but a lot of it was just, I think, hey, if we're not going to be able to spend with the Seattles, if we're not going to be able to spend with some of these other teams, then what are we doing? You know, so uh, I guess uh, I'm going a bit too meta here, <laughs> but bringing it back, I think it was a successful season when compared to the expectations that we had going into the year. So, yeah. Dustin, what are you thinking? I mean, when uh, you look back, yeah, I'm thinking that it was a six. It was a season that had successes. Um, I'm I'm don't know. I mean, if you look at Tristan mentioned the the preseason goals for the team, and it was like get a home comp, home playoff match, um, win the first game of your, of the of the playoffs, right? Well, they got part of that done. They didn't get the home playoff match. Um, I, I I don't know that on the field whether or not the the club would say that they had a successful season. Besides, you know, making the playoffs and then getting that first win. Um. Because they didn't meet meet their goals, they, they had a lot of successes in that they did win that first playoff match. They that match they um, w- did find some some new bright shining um, uh, local talent that they can plug in first year. Um, you know, in Tanner Tessman, they uh, they you know they continued to prove out Ricardo Pepe. 
and you know kept kept pushing on the resources that they do have and finding new ones right and so that's a success i think that the places you'll have you'll find that they would look back on and, and regret is for me the big one is the away form that the team had they were not good on the road and that's something that is going to have to be rectified in season three of, of the Lucci rain. So, so yeah, so. I mean, for me, I think success, but not necessarily progress. So if I think back to the, to the end of the 2019 series or season, I would have been looking forward to seeing what happens with the midfield of, you know, Cirillo and Cervania and Paxton and Jesus. And I mean, all these guys who, honestly regressed this year I mean, Paxton obviously had had an injury issue had a bit last year too but you know uh Cervania and Cirillo couldn't make it out of the second team um Jesus definitely didn't have the year that he had last year so I think that you know in, in some ways a lot of the younger players didn't make the progress that I would have hoped that they would have made this year now we did you know Tasman was a was a was a nice surprise I think we were, you know, people who follow the club were aware of Tessman a, a bit, you know, from from the academy, uh, but I, nobody would have thought that he would have been starting in the playoffs, right? So that, you know, those those kind of surprises are nice. I, I think we also knew that uh, Reynolds, you know, was was going to take that cannon spot. I don't think that was a surprise. He's done well. I I, I expected him to do well, right? Uh, and he'll probably, you know. He probably won't be here next year because of it, right? Because of some of that upside that that he shows. So I think that if you look at statistically successful, right, better uh, points per game, uh, made it to the second round. Uh, they made did have a, a, a few good signings filling that Grazo hole, right, with with Santos, right. But um, overall, I don't I don't know if they're progressively if they're if they're a better team, at least from the expectations that they're a better team at the end of this year than they were at the end of last year. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's take that concept of progression and let's let's talk about Lucci Gonzalez. Um, and regardless of whether the season was a success, do you think John Jonathan Roz? Do you think that that Lucci progressed as a coach this season? I think he was challenged. I mean, from because of the things that happened with. The team and with COVID, I think that he had to learn to coach through something that he's never done, right? So I think he had to learn to develop develop relationships. Uh, he had to he had to help cultivate the team through difficult times. So I think from from that point of view, uh, I think he had to have grown, right? I think probably almost anybody in in that spot would have. Uh, he's now had more opportunity to work with kind of professional adults. Uh, tactically, it was interesting because it did seem like he was a bit. Uh, last year, I know, especially early in the year, uh, he came with his game plan and he was very laser focused on this is how Lucci ball is going to be hurt. This is, this is how we're going to play. Uh, made some adjustments. I think we saw a bit more this year. It's harder to judge. It's almost like a TBD because of how compact the schedule was that a lot of times they didn't really get a full coaching cycle between games. And I think it ended up being where uh, he defaulted to a very defensive posture through most of the season, right? Uh, every once in a while, we'd see some some good gains, but overall, right, we, we didn't see 
uh, a lot. I, I didn't see evidence that he progressed a lot as a coach tactically until these last two games. I think these last two games, I think, proved uh, when he actually did have time to prepare for a match um, that he did the things that he needed to do to prepare prepare for that specific opponent. And I, I don't think we saw that last year. I think that, the yeah, they played great in Seattle, but that was – that, that felt like it was all heart versus anything, right? That, that was a, a bunch of young kids and people just, you know, going, you know, let's say balls to the wall, right? Just, you know, playing as hard as hard as they can, right? Uh, so I think that he did he did progress, right, um, in, in, in this year. And so that's, that's really all you can ask from a coach. John Arnold. The full work week, or they call it the micro cycle, right? He did some really interesting things. Change, which I think showed some of what we'll get to in a moment, which is the bad, like hiding Santiago Mosquera, who was your DP winger. But you realized if we play our winger as a winger, a fullback in a winger, and then play a different fullback at fullback. I'm not saying it's a moment of tactical brilliance, but Lucci realized it needed to be done, and he did it right. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I think, Tristan, you know, the game plan was quite obvious in Seattle. If they score on us, we will change to a more attacking mood. Barrios is going to come on. He's going to stretch him with the speed. And he did that, right? It's sort of basic. But, I mean, I think that you saw Lucci flex his tactical muscle in a way when he had time. But he didn't have a lot of time this season. It was an enormous challenge. And I think he did respond well to those challenges. I think he, you know, no matter what Lucci, I think, will be a good sort of leader of men in a way. Uh, he's going to be able to speak in front of the press. He's going to show his face. He's going to own up to his errors. And that's important, right? But I think any coach this year had a lot of challenges, had a lot of things to deal with. I've even said that, you know, like the Galaxy, they were garbage this year. But if they had said, we're going to stick with Guillermo, okay, like that's fine. I just think whatever happened this year for coaches and for technical directors too is like, this was not easy. This was not an easy year to figure out. And I think Lucci managed it with grace, which is not always easy to do. And again, was able to put together a team that, that mostly performed. Now, Minnesota, where I don't know if the preparation was right. I don't think the on-field result was right. You know, there are certainly moments, but I also think that's what you're going to get with a second-year head coach, and not just second-year with your team, but like, this is the second year he's ever coached a professional team. So, again, maybe I'm being too charitable and grading on a, a bit of a curve, but I think we did see him take steps forward this year. But he has a big year next year, like I said. Yeah, I, I think for me, um, I think he did make a little bit of progress. Um, it definitely – it looked – like you said, it looked different than last year. And the thing that stuck out to me, especially towards the end of the year, is was his ability to make mid-game adjustments. You saw, um, I mean, there's that big that big uh, publicity piece that FC Dallas put out where they put video of him making a, an adjustment at halftime and then it paying off on the field with Brian Reynolds um, looking for a different option on the wing whenever he got shut down. And like it was like he, like he drew it up, right? And I think there was some evidence of that kind of mid-game tactical adjustments that that played off i think that you're you brought up the minnesota match i think that's one place where it didn't go well like that it like he made some adjustments and they didn't they didn't come off 
Um, and so, you know, there were some stinkers, but I think overall it was good to see changes happen. Whereas last season, it didn't seem like there was a plan B in the matches. It was just, um, okay, we're going to have our, we're going to have our, uh, our players come on and then they're just going to keep playing the, the same way. Or maybe like, we'll just throw defense out the, out the window and, and just, right. There, it just didn't seem like there was a coherent plan B in year one, year, this year, this season. Uh, it definitely felt like that there was a lot of, a lot more of a plan B in most matches. Tristan, what did you think? Um, I mean, I think he progressed because he dealt with some really like crappy circumstances and made a pretty good hash of it. I mean, he was kind of backed a little more than he has in past in the different areas of the team in terms of resources. In the past, it's been these wingers that are talked about in as being decent South American players like Arangis and Mascara and players that kind of don't really hit it off. And we didn't need that help. We needed help up top and we needed help uh, creating in the midfield. And that's the help that he got. And so it finally actually brought together. Now, that being said, they have one area where he has not progressed. And it'll be interesting to see how they deal with the offseason is in converting some of that midfield stability into chances and goals, right? Converted opportunities. I feel like we lack a true threat from a set piece in terms of what Mario Diaz has used to bring to the team. Um, and that that is a huge, huge, huge for a team that doesn't spend a lot of money relative to the other teams in the in the league. Um, that's one area where you can find someone that can do something and maybe get them on the cheap and and find a way for them to play. Now he lost Paxton, who was probably one of the, or was one of their highest paid players coming into this season and still is. And and dealing with Reggie Cannon, that had a Stuff like what happened with Reggie is something that could really divide a locker room. And so it takes a, a manager that is really aware of his players. And if we had an older, more, I'm not going to say aloof, but just an older manager who wasn't a part of the organization as long as Lucci has been, I think it would have been a lot tougher to make what he did out of this team uh, this season. Um, and so you really do have to say he has progressed in that sense. Tactically, I think he's progressing, but he still is trying to figure out a way to get the forward involved with the play more cohesively. I mean, Andrasic took an entire season before he finally started clicking, right? And then once he finally did start clicking, we started scoring goals. But he was still really hot and cold in terms of he would go on certain streaks. And, and this team has been built around making sure there's somebody in the box. This is why you have different top scorers every season, right? And Barrios having one of his, arguably his, his lowest productivity, least productive season in, in an FC Dallas jersey. He did really well. I mean, you, there's no arguing that. He, he coached the fullbacks who were relatively young and inexperienced really well against two really good teams in Portland and Seattle and, and made the most of what he could. So I, I don't think it's like coach of the year material, but I definitely think it, it was he earned his paycheck. And it's FC Dallas. Like, what are we going to get? Like, 
Bruce, are we going to hire mid-season Bruce Arena like the revolution did? No, we're not going to do that. Like, we're going to stick with what we've got because we're going to wait for a contract to expire. We're not going to buy anybody out. Hunts don't do that, at least not with FC Dallas. So no so, David Wagner coming in mid-season? No. Uh, no? Okay. All right. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So Just the real life of FC Dallas fans. I mean, like, they don't spend money on the team. Nearly it's 100% as as true, but it's also like you also wouldn't have wanted them to boot Lucci during this season. No, I don't think he did no, anything no. bootable, right? I mean, maybe in other years you're like, come on. But uh, no, that would have been – like I'm saying, I think coaches should get a really long leash this year because I think they had to deal with lots of stuff. And I, you know, I didn't even mention – the cannon situation again, like I think right. that's something that it would have been very easy to put your foot in it, and I think some aspects of the organization did, but Lucci didn't, right? The team didn't. So you're not on hashtag Lucci out. That I find much reason for anyone to be on hashtag Lucci out at the moment. Gotcha. All right. Uh, so speaking of outs, let's talk about standouts. Standouts. Um, Jonathan Ross, any players this season really, really come out and, and make a mark for themselves, name for themselves this season in your books? No. <laughs> okay. Next. <laughs> um, man, it was, I mean, it was a very up and down season. I guess the, 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 the people that I mentioned earlier would probably be the ones that, that were the, big surprises so if it's stand out from a from a surprise perspective it'd probably be uh probably be tasman uh santos right because he's new this year i think i came in and uh he had an up and down season a bit uh, i think when he played well he played really well and i think that he made his team a lot better uh i don't I mean it's it's interesting because there were so many areas where this team has played inconsistent so uh, you know, the, the, the two, the two players that, you know, that, you know, seem to always be consistent, uh, are going to be, you know, the captain, Matt Hedges, right. Who had a, a fantastic year. Uh, and then Jimmy, who I think was not expected to start and I mean, at least statistically, right. Was one of the top goalkeepers in, in the league. And so, uh, so I guess after saying, uh, no, no, it's probably, it's probably, it's probably those two guys. One that's not a surprise at all. Matt, you know, is, is has been one of the, the team's best players, uh, for three or four years now. Uh, and, and, but I think that Jimmy was probably the standout surprise player for me. Pick on that somewhere. I saw a nice Jimmy Maurer stat graphic. I can't remember where, but they did a nice job with it. i put that out. I think that's exactly right about Hedges, you know, really fantastic year. And, and, and in some ways just kind of, flies under the radar because it's what you've come to expect from him. I, I'm doing, uh, I, I'm sorry, I keep plugging early, but I, I'm, I'm helping to launch this new Texas soccer site and we're doing player profiles of every player. And like I wrote in the Hedges one, like the question is where you put the statue. Like legitimately, this guy might stay with your club for his entire career. He's helped you lift multiple pieces of silverware. And this year, he's your rock, right? He's absolutely your rock. The team was way better defensively than it was attacking. But... I'm going to go ahead and take him for granted, I guess. And also Jonathan's already spoken about him. Uh, for me, it's the two R's, Reynolds and Ricarte. Uh, Reynolds, yeah, I think, Roz, you're absolutely right. Like, you expected him to be good. There's no guarantee he was going to be good, right? Like, you know, I think in some ways, because we've seen him play for North Texas, or we've seen him. But if you're an outsider, and, you know, they're selling Reggie Cannon, 
And you're like, okay, I guess they like this guy Reynolds they got coming in a right back. And then you see him and it's like, oh, like this guy really, it really didn't miss a beat. Even Cannon, who I think is a superb player, who I think is should be in in the place where he is right now or, or even higher on the club level and, and in the national team picture like he is, you know, he had to wait behind Hernan Grana for a while, right? The coaches didn't feel like he was ready. He had that season of kind of like apprenticeship. And I guess Reynolds did in some way as well, but I thought it was really impressive how he stepped in. I don't think he's anywhere near the finished product. I would love to see another year of him at least in Frisco. Who knows if that's going to happen or not? But I, I, I think, you know, you have to kind of highlight his effort coming in seamlessly replacing Cannon. And Ricarte arrives in the fall, did a lot of things FC Dallas needed him to do. And I think when they signed him, I thought, ah, yeah, they're bolstering their chance creation because they can't create any chances. They can't make anything happen. But it turns out he could do a little bit of everything, right? I thought he was really, really, when he played deeper, which they asked him to do a lot, he was good in recovery, good in the transition, and, and really kind of glued the team together in a way that they didn't have and still didn't necessarily have. I don't think he's 100% the answer to all of the problems, but uh, you're not probably going to find the answer to all your problems mid-season. I thought, you know, we mentioned uh, talking about Frank Ojada, like there's often a, an adaptation period for anyone coming into MLS, but his was rather short, Ricardo. So I think those guys, uh, for me, are the two real bright spots of this squad. Tristan. Justin. Yeah, the, the brightest spot is the My Little Pony shirt that you're wearing. Um, <laughs> beyond that, that's how much your fandom has gotten you, man. You just you want to be a mythical creature, right? A diehard FC Dallas fan. They are there. Um, no, the, 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 for me, the, the bright spot is, is the combination of Hedges and Maurer and then the emergence of the new talent with, with Reynolds um, Ricarte is new to our roster, so I consider him new. And then um, Pepe getting a huge goal, right? Like, talk about like who's the happiest person in Frisco right now? It's Paxton Pomacal because he gets to come back with literally zero pressure. I mean, there's more hype trains besides his now, right? Like Reggie's out, but now you got the Reynolds hype train, and now you have the Pepe hype train and the Testman hype train. And Paxton's gonna be like, oh yeah, remember me? I'm the guy that makes. $500,000 every year, right? Like, and on that insane scale or whatever his contract's at next year. So the, 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 for me, the bright spots are the new talents that are emerging and the fact that we've kept hedges around and, and that we kind of have a solid core. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited for the next season. I think that the front office is really going to have to prove that they aren't as dysfunctional as, as some people write stories about them being dysfunctional, I think they actually have a good scouting network, which if you look at where this club was five years ago in the front office, pretty much every position is filled by somebody else, somebody new. And that's not easy to do as somebody who follows Arsenal has seen, as anybody that's followed Barcelona has seen. Like, FC Dallas isn't of that caliber, but the dynamics of the club switching academy directors, all of these different positions, bringing in North Texas SC, all of those things and being able to do it somewhat seamlessly is pretty remarkable. And so I will give them credit for that. And so I'm excited to see. I think there are some bright spots and they're, they're playing it right as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. My bright spots, I think, I mean, they've already been mentioned. Uh, my, Jimmy Marr, uh, that was my infographic by the way john arnold uh so you guys can find that on 
on Twitter. My plug. Um, and then, I mean, we really don't have to say much about him, do we? Like you guys already said much, uh, a bunch and he like, he just had an awesome season. Uh, I hope that guy, gets John Nelson, John Nelson. That's a good one. He yeah. had the best name. He's like one. And I think, uh, I thought you were going to say it, Dustin. You got nobody else now? Uh, no, no. Uh, no, it was, uh, Santos, Santos, a well-rested Santos. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I think. When Santos is well rested, he, Santos, 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 Tiago, the Tulsa's coming out late at night. I got two beers in me and a Tulsa upgrade upbringing. Uh, so Tiago, Tiago, I, I, whatever. Um, he that new <laughs> number six slash eight, whatever he is. Yeah, yeah, the defensive midfielder guy. Um, he when he's rested, he's he should show that he could be pretty pretty class. Um mainly um, just with his composure whenever he would get the ball. He has his moments uh, of like just bad decision-making, but it's um, on and off the ball. I think he, you're, you guys are all right. He, he does fill that Grazo size hole in the midfield. So, uh, but we can talk about John Nelson. Um, we just interviewed him just a couple episodes ago. Uh, so go back and listen to that plug number two for me. I think I'm going to try to compete with Arnold here, but uh, <laughs> you can match me. I, I do feel we can talk Nelson, but I feel like, and I could have said him. So I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone. This is a little bit of Ryan Hollingshead ratio, right? Some people thought he was good enough to be on the best 11 for MLS, right? Now they right. don't put fullbacks on that team, but if they had to put in a left back, maybe he's in the mix, right? So uh, basically, <laughs> you won't. You could draw a line in the center of the field, and anybody that plays on a certain half, we're saying it. Well, pretty good season, pretty standout year. And anybody <laughs> who plays on the other half, we're about to get to. I think. <laughs> yep. All right, so let's let's flip that field and let's talk about the players that did not have a they had a not so great 2020 um, for any number of reasons. Lots of reasons players could have had a bad 2020. Um, but let's let's kind of go through there, and we'll start with. John uh, no, no, no. You need to start, Dustin. Come on. <sighs> okay. My little pony. So for, for listeners, I'm wearing a shirt with a a a pastel-colored unicorn that I got from work uh, for being an inventor and having a, a patent. Son, so, that is a rainbow mane on that sucker. Pastel yep. does not do it justice. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I have a patent, so I got a T-shirt. So there, you go. there we go. Um, I think, I think it's pretty obvious. Do, do what? I have, I have a t-shirt and I didn't have to do anything for it. Well, then we know who the real you. winner here is. <laughs> the U S um, patent office. Cause they got your money. I not mine. So <laughs> <laughs> players that didn't have a good 2020. Uh, I think the, the obvious answer here is, is, is Santi Mascara. But I think, I'm going to talk a little bit about Michael Barrios. Um, Barrios said the past two seasons has, has kind of one upped himself in different areas. I think one year he had his career best in um, assists. And then the year prior he had the, or is it, I can't remember. There's a prior or after that, he had one that was a career best in assists and one that was a career best in goals. And then this season, not much, very, very little bit output. 
No career bests. No career bests. Zero career bests. Career best, zero career bests. Yeah, so, what was up with that? Like, is there a story that we're not aware of? Because, like, it from, like, a lay person's perspective, that just is weird. Just a guess. I'm not I'm not pretending I, I have this insight, but I've done a couple. I, I, I like Mikey a lot as a as a guy. He's a fun interview, really charismatic guy, really nice guy. And he was good the last several years. I think one of the reasons one of the things I've done a story on is kind of his Iron Man quality. You know, I think his streak is still intact that he after Chris Klein, no one else has ever played or started more consecutive MLS matches than Barrios. He was incredibly consistent. But I think he's a guy who thrives on that rhythm. I think he's a guy who, in a lot of ways, plays himself into shape. And to do that, you need consistent games and you need I spoke with uh, players, you know, people around the team, trainers, uh, sports science staff around FC Dallas for that story I did two or three years ago about Barrios' consistency. They said that he is the top, top, top guy every time they do the sleep study. Not a great year for sleep. He does have a newborn. I don't think that's the factor. I think it's COVID-19, right? I really do think that that rhythm of a game a week is something that he needs. And then as soon mm-hmm. as it became, we need you on the field every two days, every three days, I think it can I think it can affect a guy and make it more difficult maybe to get into shape, to stay. I'm not saying, oh, he was carrying a secret injury or anything. But I think that's a good highlight, Dustin. You know, that both Colombian wingers uh, could have been a lot better. I didn't put the Colombian... Uh connection there the Colombian connection was not something I really thought about but that's yeah I'd say I'd say that um there are a couple other players that that had seasons that were kind of forgettable but I think that's probably the biggest drop off of of them I think if I was going to name one more we talked about him earlier in the match as far as um not getting as many minutes as as you would have thought and I think that would be Brandon Cervania um I'm not so sure he regressed necessarily as a player. His minutes regressed, but I'm not certain that um, it's not just more of a case of they brought in people that were better than him and he just couldn't get on the field. I don't know that like that has much to say necessarily about him and his abilities as much as it says about the other players around him in the depth chart. Tristan, let's let's go to you. Um. I mean, Barrios is one that really sticks out to me because, like John said, he's been here for many years and is the most... Uh, him and Hedges have basically been around the longest. Uh, Hedges, I think, maybe a little bit longer. But they've both won silverware and been a part of... Basically, they have stayed the same while a lot of the rest of the team has changed. And so it was a little surprising to see that. But that makes sense that there's a lot of disruption, especially the international players. There's probably a lot of unease with everything um, going on, being separated from family that's back in South America. Um, but in terms of disappointing players, I, I think that uh, the front line, the forwards just weren't producing um, on a consistent basis that that you need to be go from a seven or eight seed in the playoffs to a two or a three or a one. And, and that, that just goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? There's a different budget. Some years we hit it, right? Like in 16, boom. And part of that was the league was kind of a, going through an adjustment. The post-Landon Donovan era, the post-Toronto uh, FC becoming into its own, right? 
and, and so the league, you can kind of get more meta about how we kind of lucked in. I think that year it was one of the lowest points totals for a supporter's shield that's been won in a number of years. And um, this season, though, we lacked a lot of goal-scoring threats. We, we had a lot of chances created, but I would have been more excited to see better forward play. So it's not really a specific person, um, but it's more so just a position and like a tactics. I think if Lucci needs to tweak it, that's where you go. Also, I mean, like, I think some of the boneheaded moves off the field by a guy like Jesse Gonzalez it makes it <laughs> like this isn't, I mean, like that has to be called down, right? Like Jesse had a really promising career ahead of him and was, he was, he's very hot tempered, but he'd gotten that under control recently. And to just go and blow it like he did, uh, it was really sad for FC Dallas fans. Yeah. Uh, I think that's like the worst 2020. Right. Uh, of it's on pretty the bad. I mean, like everybody on the team got COVID. So like, that's pretty bad too, but at least they stayed on the team. So that's a plus, um, comparatively speaking. I think it's a, a good a good shout out with Jesse. I hadn't even thought of that one, but yeah, I've, I've kind of pushed him out of my mind. Yeah, I think a lot I, of you, us you can do that. But like the guy was in in line for caps in the national team. Like when he plays well, he play. He's a really good shot stopper. Like he was, octopus. and he was confident. He was gaining and then goalkeeping. That's everything. Like, it's, I mean, yeah, you, like, you look at Tim Melia on Sporting Kansas City. The guy looks like a pro wrestler. Like, he is built, like, not a goalkeeper. Yeah, like, goal, he is not the tallest guy. But, like, you look at him and you go, dude, that guy looks like Barry Bonds in 2000. Like, it, and so, but look at him. He's confident. And that's, that's nine-tenths of the game right there in terms of goalkeeping, I think. So I'm going to talk about the antithesis of confidence, and I think that's Jesus Ferreira. Ooh, I think he's. I'm, I'm here for this. He's yeah. too young, guys. I think he's the to me the the guy that had a a, a really difficult year, right? And so uh, he's always been kind of in a weird spot where he's not quite quite a striker. He's not not quite a uh, number ten. So he's he plays well. He plays an off striker and on a team that doesn't have an off striker. Right. Um, and last year he played fairly consistently. Um, and I think was one of those people that I said earlier, uh, you know, when I was at the end of, the, of, of 2019, I thought, you know, I'm excited for 2020 because I want to see what Jesus does and those others. So I, I think he's one of the guys that has been mentioned yet that uh, really just had an off year. And I think that part of that is rhythm. Part of that is, I mean, who knows? It could be COVID, right? I mean, he was, you know, one of the confirmed cases with COVID, right? Could be recovery from that. Uh, and and I, th- I think, honestly, a lot of that is confidence. And I think um, from an FC Dallas perspective, when you think about the impacts to the team, they, with Paxton out, they, they, nest- they just really needed somebody that could play in that spot, break the lines, um, be more creative in the midfield because, uh, they just don't have that, right? We see, yeah, yeah, Ricarte did really well in this last match, but I think that a lot of times they had to play him, you know, further back on the field, right? So uh, they really, the, the team really needed a big year out of Jesus, and uh, for whatever reason, uh, Jesus wasn't able to deliver. Now, I, I don't think it's that he doesn't have the skills. I honestly think that um, this is one of those years that I, I'm hoping that the offseason will be good for him 
get his confidence back up because I think he's he could be a, a, a big player for this team and I think could be a starter again next year. Uh, but I think from an expectation perspective, he's one of the guys that I was probably disappointed with yeah. the most. He had the he was a the top scorer last season. He right? was yeah, so, he was a top scorer last year. And yeah. then he got that that fat new contract. And not only that, but was called up, finally got a citizenship and made his debut for the U.S. Senior National mm-hmm. Team. And that's kind of the lead into this season. And that's why I was I was going to pick Jesus as well. Absolutely, you know, when you come off of that and a good year last year, it's something to build off of for sure. And then this year you don't build off it and you really take, I think maybe even two steps back of regression. Right. I do think his position is a question mark and I don't think that helps really any young player. You know, I actually, I I know Burhalter was like, we see him as a nine and it's great that he can play forward and do other things. And it's like, yeah, but I don't, you wouldn't want to start him over Cobra at the start of the season. You wouldn't start him over Hara. You wouldn't start him over Pepe right now. Right. As the nine. But he's also not a true number 10. So, I mean, I do think that's going to be something that continues to dog him. And if he can't be a true two-way midfielder in a team with a lot of really good two-way midfielders already, you do wonder, is he going to get somewhat lost in the shuffle? So, I think he does need to have a good offseason. Maybe rest will do him well. I don't think that national team camp was too strenuous, but maybe he was kind of putting too much on himself. I'm not sure. But you didn't see the swagger. You didn't see... You know, this is a guy who scored in his first professional appearance and like, like two minutes in and, you know, the son of a, of a big player, you know, big time player, former MLS MVP. But he's never seemed to wear that pressure. He seems to wear some swagger, you know, in the youth ranks, winning Dallas Cup, scoring that professional goal. And this year just didn't put it together. So it would, it would be nice to see him bounce back because I think there's a fair amount of skepticism as to if he is an FC Dallas first team player at this point and, and, and certainly a starter. Um I'm going to go all Colombians, whether you see Jesus, uh, Colombian-American, Barrios, who we've already discussed. I think not only the things that we mentioned, but also his finishing was really poor this year. He had some opportunities. He was not able to put the ball away. Even that uh, playoff game, you know, we're talking about it. We're having a different podcast right now. If that shot hits the other side of the post, sure, some of that is, ah, oh, that's soccer, bad luck. But he probably could have put that shot in the back of the net. And Mosquera, this guy's a designated player. And just to show you, you know, pat yourself on the back, MLS and FC Dallas fans, how much of a, a jump this league has made. Today, news drops that he's no longer with the team. And moments later, Atletico Nacional, the biggest team in Colombia, and Junior, one of the most successful teams right now in Colombia. They're doing really well in South American club competitions like the Bigotes. They're both in for him. They're both wanted. They both want to sign him. They're going to put him in the roster immediately. And it's like, this guy couldn't make it at FC Dallas. He was not good enough to play at FC Dallas. And yet these power Colombian teams are like, yeah, we need this guy. Maybe it would be good for him too. Maybe he'll be able to excel um, in a place where he might feel more comfortable. But certainly you needed a spark from him this year. You really needed him to make things happen, to be an exciting player, to, to, to uh, how do you say it, uh, throw off defenses, to run at people, to beat people one-on-one, to make anything happen. And he showed so few flashes of being able to do that. It was obviously the right decision to open up that DP spot and not not extend his option. I don't even know if FC Dallas is going to use that DP spot, but <laughs> you're better off without Mosqueda. Yeah, yeah, he's a guy who his two my two the two moments of his that I remember the most were not actual regulation matches. It was a preseason match against New England, where he burnt like the entire team going down the sideline. Uh, to score a goal, 
in a preseason match. And then that Sevilla match where he scored that really awesome goal cutting into the middle and scoring on a European powerhouse. Uh, and that's like, did he score a hat trick? Am I making that up? He did. He did. He yeah, that's like, what I thought, you forget that, right? Because it's just like, it doesn't. So did Roland Lamont. <laughs> but Roland at least was able to do it. More, I mean, he didn't do the hat trick more than once, but, he, but he he got like eight goals that year, eight or nine, I think. So yeah, yeah. yes, he wasn't did. a flash in the pan that year. So, Santi doesn't make my list only because I what Santi did this year was exactly what we expected, at least what I expected, right? So unlike unlike Barrios, who uh, has been fairly consistent, even if it's yeah, some years are more of an assist year and some years more of a, a scoring year. It's he, he's always been, you know, as soon as you you write out the eighteen, you know, it's whoever your starting goalkeeper is, Matt Hedges and Barrios, right? And so yeah. this is next year will be the first year that you know maybe uh, he's not written down in uh, in pen on that starting roster. So for sure, I'm gonna put my manager hat on. Uh, these players had some opportunities for improvement. Um, and next season, the whole team has some opportunities for improvement. Uh, if they if they can make some certain changes, we'll start with you, Tristan. Do you have hope that those changes will happen and that the, the team has kind of some hope for the future, some, some uh, you know? Wait, Dustin, I, I thought we were talking about next season next time, man. Well... We will get deep into the ins and outs of, of next season, the needs. I wanted to, I, I kind of wanted to end on a, on a maybe a bright side if the, if we can get. Here's there. your bright side. Yeah. Okay. Hashtag bright side. It's just, it's, right. but it's just a yes or no question. Is there hope yeah, for the yeah, future? Yeah. Yes or no? Yes. Yes, there's hope. I mean, <laughs> you've got Paxton coming back. You've got some really good young talent in the pipeline. And assuming at least the second half of the season is played without COVID restrictions, you can bring players between North Texas and FC Dallas. That was a huge thing that was worked in our favor a year ago that we really couldn't utilize this year, which is probably why some of those younger guys we mentioned earlier didn't get as much playing time. And so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of hope. I mean, you should definitely stay tuned. I mean, we, our best players are under the age of like 25. Except for hedges, so yeah, in Mauer. So yeah, I, I think you saw at the end what the team can do if they have a regular mini cycle, as 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 John Arnold described it. Um, for me, I, I think next season, if you see more of that, and it doesn't look as crazy as this season did, and as compact of a schedule, I, I'm excited. I have hope that next season will be better. Uh, I mean. I guess I'm an optimist, though. So what about you, John Arnold? I think that they definitely have some of the tools. And I think they're not going to sign anyone incredibly splashy. At least I don't think so. I know there's some weird rumors happening. But uh, <laughs> I don't think they're going to sign you know, someone of, of an amazing caliber. But um, they should get marginally better because the players are getting older, right? And that's kind of the idea is that FC Dallas will be able to kind of eventually get to the point where, hey, the Academy products are so good that they're able to to succeed. That said, I think there's a lot of teams in the West that are looking and saying, can we jump them? Can we beat a team like FC Dallas next year? And they're answering the question, yes, right? The teams around them are going to get better. FC Dallas is going to take, I think, only marginal steps forward this offseason. I do think they're moving in the right direction. 
I think the question is, are they moving in that direction fast enough that other teams who are going faster than them uh, don't pass them? So I do think that's the risk. I think there's plenty of reason for hope, and maybe there always will be for FC Dallas because of the way that the academy works. But at a certain point, you do have to having hope for next season good enough. Because I do think like a guy like Matt Hedges, he's 30 years old, looked great, but at a certain point, he has to say, like, I do want to try and win an MLS Cup in my career. Like, when is it going to be, quote unquote, the year? You know, after 2016, Dan Hunt said this title window is open and we want to keep it open for as long as we can. Well, it slams shut pretty quick. Will that window open again? Will there be a year where FC Dallas says, we're going for it? This is it. We're not going to sell player X because it's not going to be Reynolds, right? They're probably going to sell Reynolds before this period that I'm talking about happens. We're not going to sell player X. We're going to keep him for one more season, one more run. We're going to go for it. We're going to go for the title. We're going to bring in a player, maybe a DP, maybe not, but a player from from a, a known quantity that's going to make a difference, like a Rui Diaz. And seeing, uh, there's hope not only to get better next season, there's hope to lift a trophy next season. So I, I guess I would say there's definitely hope. They should be better. Maybe they'll take one more step in the playoffs. But can they take two more steps? Can they take the step onto the podium if they win MLS Cup? I'm not so sure. I, I don't. I don't know that next year is the year, but it also won't be terrible soccer, and they won't be losing every game, and it won't be bad, right? Uh, they'll be fine. Roz, let's close with you. I have reasonable hopes, not high <laughs> hopes, just reasonable hopes. Uh, FC Dallas will not win MLS Cup or Supporters Shield. You heard it here first next year. Uh, I know it's amazing. It's a bold, bold. Prediction. It's a bold, bold prediction. Yes. Uh, no, I I have hopes for. I mean, I'm really interested to see what uh, the midfield looks like next year. I think uh, we've talked a bit about players coming in their first year from South America and how they you know how they play the second year. Uh, Hara, I, I think what we see is what we see. But honestly, I think that Ricardo and Santos, I'd like to see what they look like with a year of MLS play, used to the speed, used to the team. I think that there's some really big upside there, and then. Yeah, I, I think for me, like it's I'm more excited to see what the team can do after playing with the with a player like Ricarte. Yep. Um I, I think for me it's 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 less of what he can do next season and more like how the team can actually use him next season. Yep. And and make those connections next season. And then the, the last piece of the midfield that I'm excited for is the the run of return of Paxton. Um so and he looked really, really good before the 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 U twenty World Cup last year, right? It's almost a year and a half ago. Uh, if if that passing can make a reemergence, then this team becomes. It uh, doesn't mean that they're gonna, you know, make a a a longer run in the playoffs or anything like that. But they'll be more exciting to watch, right? More fun as a fan, and so that's what I'm looking forward to next year. Jonathan, I just had the realization that you and I were the last people that I know of to interview Paxton before he had to have surgery in person. I remember Gina was telling us, you know, cause the, the COVID stuff had just been, you know, it was the, we, I went back to the office and they were packing their stuff yeah, yeah. and like shutting down the next day. It was the, the, the very last, I think open practice. So, um, yeah. And, and then he got surgery. So we'll not interview Paxton anymore just for you FC Dallas fans being a more exciting team and just a better team to watch. One other thing that will help that is not playing Nashville four times. That'll be good. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. The low light of the For season sure. we do need to highlight is just those slogs of matches against that team, man. All right. So, uh, as 
Jonathan alluded to, we will have another episode here coming up shortly, uh, kind of doing the rundown with the announcements today of the roster decisions. We'll go through those in and out. We didn't have quite enough time to to kind of digest those before we wanted to talk intelligently about them. Uh, there's expansion draft coming up, uh, all kinds of stuff to talk about uh, for next season. We'll, we'll go through it all next next episode. John Arnold, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you have a couple of exciting projects going on that I know of. One would be your CONCACAF newsletter. So tell everybody how to get that. Called getting CONCACAF. The easiest way is to find me on Twitter at Arnold, John, spell out comma, no H and John. Or you can search getting CONCACAF in Google. Um, if you get the joke, the newsletter's for you. Uh, it's about obscure things in CONCACAF, but also stuff like, uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but if it comes out before the U.S. El Salvador game, um, like an interview with a player who, who's on El Salvador who grew up in Miami and his brother plays for a different CONCACAF nation. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, so, uh, and the most recent piece that was published is a piece on Anguilla, which is basically like if you tried to make a national team with the population of Allen, <laughs> well, you have twice as many people as you do in Anguilla and they're trying to make the World Cup. Well, actually, they're just trying to get out of the very last spot in CONCACAF in the FIFA rankings and the next last spot in the world. So they've never won an official World Cup game, but they do have an interesting plan. So if that stuff is sounding exciting to you, then uh, check out the newsletter. All right. And then you recently, so that came out, I guess you started that right at the beginning of, of COVID whenever we had our happy hour. Uh, and recently you just announced another project. So you, you just kind of alluded on it, putting a statue of Matt Hedges next to the naked upside down guy. Hedges, putting Hedges face on that man. I'm not picky. I just think he needs <laughs> to be recognized in some sort of artistic form. Um, yeah, so there's a new a new project starting. It's really exciting. We can't tell you the name yet. It'll be like unveiled in some sort of hype video that that I'm sure you'll see retweeted and and will enjoy if you if you look at social media. Basically, the project is quite exciting. You know, I've covered FC Dallas for the Dallas Morning News for a while. Um, it's a bit limited. They're never going to devote the resources they do to covering uh, the Dallas Cowboys to FC Dallas or even like an SMU, right? So this site is asking and answering the question: Why don't we cover soccer in texas like soccer is covered in other countries like mexico or argentina or, or england or spain right so essentially we want to be the marca or the ole or or you know the guardians football section of texas i'm coming on board as the dallas fort worth writer uh, chris bills down in austin is going to cover the new team down there and victor Raisa uh, of houston if you want to get the uh, inside intel on the team we all love to hate the houston dynamo He'll be covering them. And then there's going to be also coverage of North Texas, of colleges, of youth uh, done by people. You can even get involved, uh, and we'll tell you about that more here in the near future if you want to write stuff. Um, it's all going to be a lot of fun. But anyway, keep an eye out. We should launch uh, early 21, first quarter of 2021. So I hope everybody will keep tuned, and, uh, and and we'll sign up whenever that's available. Excellent. I am. I will be on, on the edge of my seat waiting for this. Like I'm pretty excited for you, John. All right. If you uh, liked what you heard on this show, uh, you can find us at dallassoccershow.com. You can hit that subscribe button in the podcast app you listen to us in. Um, 2020's a wrap. The season season's done. So uh, for Jonathan Roz, Tristan Vick, uh, and John Arnold, I'm Dustin Nation. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next episode. I said H-O-O-P.